0: Hey y'all, welcome back to The Vocal. I got a great text message from one of my very best friends recently, kind of out of the blue. And he said, I think I'm ready to go to level two of Bjork. You know, I've been vaguely aware of her my whole life, for the big things that she's done, if she's been on the radio or in the media or whatever, but I think I'm ready to like explore. And I took this as a book report project. I immediately said, I'm gonna do this in voice memos because there's no words only format that's gonna be able to communicate her to you in the way that I think I can communicate her to you. And then, of course, I thought this would make a really great series. Bjork is someone that I have looked to for a really long time, just as someone that I'm glad exists at the same time that I'm on this earth. You know, she goes through so many different chapters. She's such an artist with a capital A. She's done so much. It's pretty astounding to watch an artist like that work and be received during her lifetime. You know, not to get too dark, but so much of the time, some of our most profound artists and the legacies that they leave are only realized once they leave the earth. And Bjork is here still. She's out there doing her thing and she's been doing her thing truly like her whole life being received. Maybe not at the level of complexity that she's putting out, but she has an audience for some very avant-garde work that she has been called to do, which I think is really remarkable. I thought I would walk y'all through my story arc with Bjork, the way that I see her career, the way that I Um, have internalized the chapters of her work, the things that have inspired her, the sounds of her music, as well as her treks into technology. She's so many things. She's a singer, a writer, an artist, a visual artist. She is a technologist. She's an avant-garde performer. She's a fashion icon. She's a style maven. She's someone that is known for wearing extraordinarily button-pushing Um, outfits and designs and headpieces. She is really someone that I think brings art to people. Whether or not they receive it is up to them. I should take a step back and say I don't call myself a Bjork scholar. I have my own read um, and my own understanding and my own relationship with her work, but I by no means think that I have the definitive approach to Bjork. This is just one approach. So the way that I see it, her career can really be broken up into three or four chapters. And this episode we're just going to be focusing on what i see as chapter one this takes us through solo albums one two and three that's debut post and homogenic from 1993 to 1997. Um, first let's hear from the sugar cube which is the group that bjork was in before she launched her solo career So you can hear some electronic programming, probably some real analog instruments. So I hear this and I hear not necessarily prototypical 90s, but I hear the 90s. The first chapter of her career, she's pulling from references of the sonic landscapes that she's occupied previously, and she's packaging them in ways that are pretty familiar to us. So a pretty standard song structure, a pretty standard kind of conventional album format, and the the kind of the lyrical content on these albums were pretty self-centric. In that way, the standard fare for a solo recording artist. She writes songs, she pulls sonics and, you know, instruments and compositional structures from the genres that she's trained in and she's familiar with, she puts albums together, she delivers them to us. Uh, By that logic, this wasn't necessarily the most boundary pushing part of her career, but what she was doing was already very boundary pushing. Bjork was someone that was trained in jazz. She was also coming up in an age where Grunge, punk, and kind of like counterculture movements were meeting music, and electronica was really entering its new era as well. What I think is kind of tantamount to understanding why she became such kind of a cultural icon, even in her early, not as boundary pushing days, in the early 90s were so male dominated, and they were very group dominated. She was a solo woman stepping out on her own, which in and of itself was pretty anti, kind of in the spirit of those genres to begin with. The next level, those genres, many of them were genres meant to be against the mainstream or forked off of the mainstream as others to the mainstream. And what she kind of, I don't know if she was um, aware in, in her doing, she was actually bringing elements of those genres to the mainstream, which was kind of also, in the spirit of those genres, kind of anarchic, she was like taking the anti-structures and anti-antiing them and bringing them to greater masses of people. So in those ways, Bjork was really doing something that wasn't meant to be done. So. Even if she didn't do all that much more than that, it already was a statement. 1993 was when Debut came out. You'll probably recognize if you were to look at the album artwork, she's like covering her hands like this. She's kind of playing kind of like a meek, young female, kind of like East Asian archetypal character in a way. And a lot of the the songs had some like humor or tongue in cheekness to them. So a couple of the big songs from this album, the ones that I think became iconic, one was the first song called Human Behavior, which sounds a little like this. So you can hear some of the genres that she had been working in. You hear a little bit of jazz, a little bit of like like shuffle drums. The bass line is a little bit punk. And then the singular female vocal over it. So it kind of still sounds like a band, but in a way, it's more pop. She's bringing it into a pop market. Also some plays with key and chord changes that were a little irreverent, um, which I can kind of hear some of her like jazz training in that. Another song that became kind of a a big hit was called Big Time Sensuality, um, which I think in and of itself may also have been a bit risque for her because she was a pretty young woman in the 90s. She was also like in an an American market. She was an international woman kind of talking about sex in kind of like not super, super descriptive ways, but in um, overt ways. And I think that that also kind of allowed her to lean into being a little bit of a punk but what's funny is that it's like a pretty light little song definitely can hear the 90s in the track now bjork self-describes her second album her follow-up called post um just two years later in 1995 as her city album it was when her life was really expanding i believe she moved her home base or one of her home bases to London. She's always worked out of Reykjavik, Iceland. She maintains really strong roots there and a home there. But London became a place where she could access a wider international market and work and make music. And I believe this may have been the album when she maybe started renting an apartment or bought a place in London. And so she was surrounded by um, much bigger city life. Post spawned a lot of the songs that folks I think still know of her. Post really did the work of like deepening and strengthening and codifying her sound, I think of it almost visually as like all the levels in the tracks were raised, things were richer, deeper, and clearer, and crisper in a way, and just bigger. Many people know Army of Me, which is the first song in this album. It's definitely a harder-hitting, grunge-style, also Nouveau Electronica kind of song lyrically this song also is kind of defensive and and also offensive she is a a woman that is saying if you complain once more you'll meet an army of me she's saying like don't fuck with me you almost see like 90s movies references like I think this was before like the Matrix came out, but you can start to feel like kind of that like urban feeling of the 90s in this album and her voice is also getting a little bit um, bigger and the complexity of her voice is starting to read it's not as light and not as delicate it's you can actually hear the fibers of her vocal cords starting to work and starting to do new kinds of work and she's putting more air through her lungs. Um, and everything about it is just kind of like more seismic. One of the biggest songs of her career was the second song on this album called Hyper Ballad. Hyper Ballad does a few things that I think became prototypes, not just for future work in her career, but for other artists. One of those is it's kind of pre-loop-loop. You can hear the structure of what's beneath her, kind of like these just circling drums, circling bass we have like the synth cloud layer on the top. And then still keeping a foot in like pretty prototypical pop structure, here's the chorus. And by the end of the song, as you can hear, it's actually a dance track. So it's called Hyper Ballad. It's like the best of both worlds. Storytelling of balladry with the kind of hard hitting dance nature of a pop song. One of the outliers I think from her, it's like a vestige of her earliest work, fell into this album called it's oh so quiet which was this like almost camp drag level um take on jazz and like almost kind of a burlesque club or something more akin to a cabaret Um, it's very over the top in such a way that you wonder is she actually lampooning that genre by making it so campy it's silly it's theatrical it's whimsical, it's weird. It's kind of the antithesis of other sounds that she was exploring at the time and we really never heard anything like this again in her career. This was kind of the last time that this form of like theatrical performative jazz and like silliness kept its kind of claws in her her work. And I don't mean claws in a negative way but it showed up in her work. and she's gonna take it to Bjork. <laughs> On the whole, Post is a really cool soundscape of an album, of an ev- and it really paints the picture of evolving genres. We have some rock, some jazz, some electronica, and some like lyric and solo female vocal-driven pop music. That takes us to 1997 album three, Homogenic, which is by and large to this day considered some of, if not the best work of Bjork's career. It really was the capstone. It was like she had hit a core. She had hit a nodule that she was meant to find and no one else could find. It was a new sound that was uniquely hers, and it was an exploration into the interface between electronica and pop music. It was a little more self-serious, it was a little bit more intense, definitely progressive and pushing things forward, and also a little bit less of a gentle listen, um, but really rich and really compelling. What's cool at this time too, now that we're kind of past the mid-90s, is Bjork isn't the only figurehead out there kind of carving a new lane from the early to mid 90s punk and grunge and garage scenes. I think of someone like Moby who like took from those genres into house music and Moby was moving it into like what kind of became like techno. In this album Bjork starts kind of dissolving some of the fundamental major pillars of pop song and pop album production so while she does stick to kind of like verse chorus structure she's playing with meter more so there's some interesting strange time signatures across this album the kind of gestalt of it is that it's kind of queer now i don't say that necessarily about bjork and her um sexuality just in that it's got this like queer take on music and sound. It felt very left of center and right of center and just kind of anywhere but center but then also center at the same time because a lot of this music went straight to the radio and was actually like embraced by lots of people. This was really when Bjork had hit a sound and a form of delivery that she would start to iterate on throughout her career and that tons of other artists would kind of start copying. Some of her best work is definitely here. Hunter is an extraordinary song. This is the first song on the album. Very electronic. Also definitely darker. You feel like you're in the dark wilderness. You're not necessarily sure if you're in a European city or like East Asian countryside or the Arctic. It's world, it's everywhere, it's where you are and where you aren't. What's cool is that even though this feels so electronic, there still is an accordion in this song and strings. So there are organic materials and instruments and inorganic ones interfacing and it feels almost like her voice is the surface area where inorganic, inorganic meet. She is almost like a Metroid and she is like both becoming like electronica and computer as a person, but then also very, very much still Iceland where nature is celebrated and where the richness of dark during the winter inspires artistic creation and just the way that people live life so i hear so much in this sound and i come back to this music a lot to me this is a no skips album front to back and maybe the beginning of a string of what you could call but what i don't think bjork necessarily calls concept albums it's really contiguous it's really a package and it's really kind of a fully scoped concept front to back another song i'm actually not sure how to pronounce this song it is written Joga I believe it may be pronounced yoga and it is about I think uh, her best friend at the time a beautiful song Like Hunter it's an interface between Dark emotive strings and electronica threaded with her really unique Soaring kind of like gravity defying voice Is very performative Theatrical, not unlike things in her earlier career, and the literal way that her voice is mixed and presented, it's bigger, it's bolder, and sharper. I think now the production quality is helping her storytell and genre build. This is kind of where technology becomes one of her greatest aids and greatest muses for the rest of her career. A final song, and I believe the final song in this album, and that takes us kind of to the end of this chapter of Björk, is All is Full of Love. And this is a song that has followed her throughout the rest of her career. It is a fan favorite. It is often performed in tour set lists, um, and it is something that feels very timeless. Again, string section, pulsing, programmed bass beneath it, threaded with her voice. Sounds like this start to appear later, in the third chapter as i see it of her career which is kind of the nature nymph chapter um, where she's painting soundscapes and landscapes using her voice and using her production materials this song in particular i think sounds a lot like the sonic bed of utopia which she released i believe in 2000, 2017. So that takes us to the end of what I see as chapter one of Bjork's solo career, the first two albums of which really draw from things that she had been doing and then eventually land in homogenic where the concept feels fully baked the soundscape feels really clear there's consistency song to song we have almost a concept album on our hands and something that was really pushing culture it's one of those albums that feels like it arrived not too soon spoke a new language that people were finding themselves hungry for but didn't know what it was yet and then would iterate and replicate for years to come this was A place where I think Bjork felt comfortable and ready and charged to begin taking left turns um, one after the other, which brings us into what I view as her chapter two, uh, which I'll tell you about in the next video. But thanks so much for watching. Hope you got something out of this and uh, sending you lots of love Bjork style through the airwaves.